Hello everyone, and welcome to Two Weirdos, One Podcast, where we talk about everything from true crime, to conspiracies, to aliens, to hauntings, and everything weird. My name is Ashley. And I'm Megan, and we're your two weirdos. Alright, what's up guys, and welcome back to episode eight it's our two month two month anniversary this week so this week we both have stories for you and um yeah megan's gonna start you off and we hope you are all enjoying your quarantine (laughs) now's a good time to catch up on our podcast so megan if you want to go ahead and take it away yeah definitely um so this week i found a really spooky story or well it, it kind of freaked me out a little bit Ooh. so it has to do with possession demons and exorcisms yes here for it so the story i have today is about annalise michelle and she was born in 1952 in bavaria germany which is um an area of germany like southern region mm-hmm. She was born to a devoutly Catholic family. Her father was a priest, and I think it said four of her aunts were nuns. Oh, wow. So she grew up very religious in that kind of household. Uh, They attended mass twice a week, all that prayed all the time. Yeah, that kind of family. Yeah. So growing up, her childhood was pretty normal. Uh, But when she turned 16, she started to have some maybe health and mental health related issues. Okay. Uh, it started one day when she was at school. Uh, she blacked out and just started wandering around the school in a dazed trance-like state. Mm-hmm. Um, people that witnessed the event just, yeah, they described it as a trance-like state and she doesn't remember any of it. Oh, so weird. Yeah. And so that was kind of the first thing that happened to, kind of clue her in that something was wrong. And then a year later, she woke up in that same sort of trance state. And she wet her bed, um, started convulsing, and her body started to shake uncontrollably. Oh, no. So so this was – so she had that episode, and then fast forward to a year later, it was kind of like she had it again when she woke up? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she's – 16 when it first happened and then 17 the second time it happened so at that point having those two incidences um, she was taken to a neurologist who diagnosed her with temporal lobe epilepsy and auditory hallucinations okay temporal lobe seizures are or they affect the part of the brain that's responsible for learning and memory Uh, which is called the hippocampus, and those types of seizures cause that to shrink. So impacting this important part of the brain can have impacts on uh, personality. Okay. So she was also diagnosed with Jeshwin syndrome, which is a group of behavioral phenomena evident in people with this type of epilepsy. Okay. So those behaviors... Um, is intense emotions, detailed thoughts, uh, different types of compulsions, specifically to write or draw, mm-hmm. and then religiosity, so becoming hyper-religious. Okay. Is one of the side effects of that type of epilepsy. That's really strange that that becoming very religious is a symptom of epilepsy. Yeah, I thought that was really strange, too. Yeah, that's interesting. Apparently, it's pretty common. It was common enough that um, that scientist, Jeshwind, who put together those groups of characteristics, that was one of the ones that he decided to detail in that. Because normally, they keep it pretty broad, I feel like, when talking about types of symptoms. But with this one, that that was one of the, the big ones. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, But once she was diagnosed, she started to take medication. Everything was going okay for a bit. 
and then uh, she enrolled in college in 1973. So she's grown up a little bit Mm -hmm. um, at this point. So the medication helped for a while, but it started to fail her and her condition got worse and worse. So she was having seizures and also she started to believe that she was possessed by a demon. Oh, okay. From someone outside of medicine. Yeah. So one of the things she claimed to have experienced was that she saw the face of the devil on people as she walked around. And then while she was praying, she said she would hear voices telling her she was damned and that she would rot in hell. So that has to be terrifying. Yeah, it sounds like almost schizophrenic. Yeah. Having those kinds of like voices and whispering in your mind. And for that to happen to you and like just it obviously must seem so real. Right. Must be scary. Yeah. So she was starting to think that she was possessed and had demons inside of her. Uh, Another thing that contributed to her believing this was um, an older woman that accompanied her on a pilgrimage noticed some strange behaviors in Annalise that also made her think that Annalise was possessed. Um, So apparently whenever they were walking, she would avoid walking past images of Jesus And she also refused to drink from a holy spring, Hmm. which as someone that grew up in a Catholic faith and a very religious household, that's really strange behavior for her to exhibit, like avoiding those types of like an image of Jesus. Right. That shouldn't be an issue. So this woman also said that, and this is a quote, Annalise smelled hellishly bad. another red flag for her and then an exorcist from a nearby town examined Annalise and concluded that she was demonically possessed so she started having these experiences this older woman that she traveled with saw some signs in her Mm -hmm. and then an exorcist that she was taken to also believed that she was possessed so she started to seek out priests that would help her with her possession But at this time, this was 1960s or 1970s, sorry. um, And most priests denied her request. Exorcism was pretty rare at this time. Yeah. You know, it it had been really prominent back in the 1500s when it was first used. But yeah, now it really wasn't that common. So she, you know started trying to find people to help her and eventually she found a priest by the name Ernst Alt who believed her and also thought she was possessed. Um, he reached out to a bishop named Joseph Stangle who I guess he needed to approve the request to perform an exorcism. Okay. And he granted permission to a local priest, Arnold Renz, to do this. But he required that uh, it be performed in total secret. So they couldn't tell anybody what they were doing. Oh, I wonder why they would do that. I mean, I guess so it wasn't like maybe a big... it wasn't socially acceptable. Yeah. Or so it like More wasn't older. Practice. Yeah. So it wasn't like a spectacle or something. Yeah. Maybe in case something went wrong, maybe they didn't want people knowing that they had done it yeah true yeah because her her condition was pretty bad like she exhibited some really strange behaviors before and during like while they did this yeah um just some examples of things she would do uh her parents said that she would like rip clothes off her body she would urinate on the floor in her bedroom and then lick it off the floor oh which is nasty was yeah gross her parents said that they could hear her in her room screaming for hours at a time at one point she 
apparently crawled under the table and barked like a dog for two days straight. Oh, gosh. Absolutely not. could get her to stop. <laughs> absolutely not. Which, like, that's not normal behavior no. for a 19-year-old girl. Um, then she, they say she also ate spiders and coal. Ugh. And then she also bit the head off a dead bird. Oh. Nope. <laughs> so, girlfriend had something wrong. Yeah. Going on. Poor thing. Yeah. Like, just really odd, strange behaviors. And it seemed like sort of compulsive, like she couldn't help it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no reasoning to why the heck she was doing all that. Right. But um, some more background on like the practice of exorcisms. The practice really became popular in the Catholic Church in the 1500s. And priests would use the Latin phrase, vade retro satana or go back satan to expel demons from people Mm -hmm. and the practice was officially documented in the ritual romanum in the 15th century but by the time that annalise was alive in the 1960s the practice was super rare not very well heard of anymore yeah but her possession i guess began right after the release of the exorcist which was a really like that a major film in the 1970s right involving exorcism so it kind of i think it or it definitely did bring more attention back to that practice mm-hmm. at the time i was reading that there was a big spike in i guess interest in the subject yeah when that came out and people thinking that they were possessed or need an exorcism or demons or stuff like that so you know some people thought because of the timing that maybe she was faking some of these things yeah but i don't think so yeah based on what i've seen yeah those things are pretty extreme for someone to be faking yeah especially with what she went through so once she finally found this bishop joseph stangle and the priest arnold rents over the course of 10 months they performed a total of 67 exorcism rituals on Annalise Michelle. Wow. That so, has to be exhausting. Over the course of like, yeah. Over the course of like 300 days, 67 rituals. Wow. So I was like, I was like thinking it, I was like, so pretty much every few days yeah. they would come and do that. And it said that those sessions could last up to four hours. Man. That's... Which I imagine it's really intense for her and also for whoever's performing it. Yeah, it's got to take a lot out of you. Yeah, especially with how, all the stuff she was experiencing. Right. Um, so according to Annalise and what they discovered during these uh, exorcisms was that she was possessed by six different demons. Man. So first one being Lucifer, also known as the devil, who's the, um, you know, the guy who was an angel of God, but then like he wanted power. It's called the fallen angel. Yeah. It became the devil. Uh, Cain, who I don't know if you know the story from the Bible, uh, but there were two brothers, Cain and Abel. Mm -hmm. And Abel was, I think he was granted like land from their father. Or something okay and Cain got so jealous that he murdered Abel okay and Cain was banished by God uh, the third was Judas Iscariot who is the man that betrayed Jesus before he was crucified mm-hmm. and he turned in his location uh, fourth one we're a little more familiar with Adolf Hitler oh oh apparently, <laughs> apparently he was in the mix as well casually <laughs> yeah, a little more modern demon for you. The rest of these are kind of old school, but right. Adolf's the modern demon. <laughs> um, the let's see, I'm on the fifth one was Nero, who was a tyrannical Roman emperor. Apparently, his reign was really cruel and just mean to people. Yeah, so not a good guy. Tyrant. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, then the last one, the guy's name was. Fleischman, 
and he was a disgraced Frankish priest from the 16th century. Hmm. So she just got a bad group of guys yeah. inhabiting her body. Handed a bad deck of cards. <laughs> right. Um, so apparently while they were performing these exorcisms, the these six spirits would kind of compete for control of her body and try to communicate you know with people around her right and they had similar voices they were all like pretty low like growling sounds whenever she would talk mm-hmm. it, was, it sounded just you know exactly how you think it would yeah it demonic super creepy and she had kind of these six personalities that they would experience performing the exorcisms and they'd hear from each of her demons mm-hmm. i guess um, so I have I found this YouTube video that contains audio of each of the voices. Um, I'll throw I don't know if I can do a link or maybe I can put the channel name in the description of this episode. But so if you guys want to go listen to all of them, you can. I I don't know. It was it was really creepy, yeah. honestly. But I'm gonna insert a little bit of the audio from. Um, her demon Lucifer right here. So take a listen. Oh, God. I hate that. That's so awful. Man, it, the first time listening to it, I had headphones in. I had to take them out because... It's just beyond. So sorry to headphone users, but it's... <sighs> yeah pretty creepy so the rest of them sound kind of similar to that but slightly different like i could make out a difference between them um but yeah so it all kind of sounded like that one of the funny things i kind of read about this uh apparently these demons would argue with each other through annalise (laughs) so (laughs) one or apparently hitler said quote People are stupid as pigs. They think it's all over after death. It goes on. End quote. So, demon <laughs> Hitler speaking through Annalise. Hitler's just really, you know, insulting people. Telling you about your afterlife. Yeah, and then apparently Judas said that Hitler was nothing but a big mouth who had no real say in hell. <laughs> so, Rude. <laughs> all those demons smack talking each other. So, I guess. Some more things that happen during these exorcisms. So poor Annalise going through a lot. Whenever the rituals were happening, she would fall to her knees to pray. Mm-hmm. Apparently she did that so much that she broke bones and ripped tendons in her knees. Oh my god. That is just like that. nauseating thinking about that. Right. Yeah, imagine. they said that she compulsively like fell to her knees like all the time during these rituals so yeah at one point they started restraining her so that they could like perform the exorcism without her interfering yeah that's something you can't just fake like (laughs) yeah causing that much physical harm to yourself i cannot imagine how painful that would be she went through a lot through those and it eventually ended up being the reason that she passed oh um she toward the end of the 10 months she forced herself to fast because she believed it would rid her of satan's influence and eventually she died of malnutrition and dehydration on july 1st 1976 at just 23 years old wow that's so sad so toward the end of her life they said that she weighed 68 pounds wow. when she died, which is insane. Yeah, just skin and bones. Yeah. I have um, a picture of her, like, before all of this happened yeah. compared to toward the end. And she really just does look like all the fullness is out of her face. Her eyes are really sunken and dark and she just looks like a totally different person. Poor girl. So after she passed, um, her parents and the two priests that were involved in the exorcisms were tried for manslaughter 
uh, or I guess they, they called it a negligent homicide. Hmm. So they were there and knew that she wasn't eating and didn't do anything about it. Yeah. Because they could have, like, they could have force fed her or gotten her to uh, some sort of psychiatric hospital that would right. force her to eat or at least hook her up to an IV so that she could get nutrients. Right. But they, they didn't. So after she died, they went through this trial and the two priests were found guilty of manslaughter and each were sentenced to only six months in jail wow. and three years probation. Which to me doesn't sound like a lot. Oh, no, not at all. Like they they had a very big hand in this girl. Yeah, for dying. What ten months? They were working yeah. on her. Yeah, and they they probably saw her decline, but they just apparently they uh, when they were in court they brought up recordings of the exorcisms mm-hmm. to try to justify what they were doing. Yeah, which I guess like in their belief that if that was their belief then okay because it's you know she was willing to participate she sought them out Mm -hmm. to try to help her but at the same time they still have a responsibility to take care of her as a human being yeah even though they are trying to fix you know something they believe is demon possessing her whatever right i mean i guess they were trying to justify the exorcisms which you know, if you don't believe in that kind of thing, it's kind of hard to do. But they, it didn't make up for the fact that they let this happen to her. Yeah. Um, then at the same time, her parents were, you know, also convicted. But apparently under German law, the parents were deemed to have, quote, suffered enough because of the death of their daughter. Hmm. And they weren't given any legal punishment. Wow. So where were they in all of this? Were they just like okay with all of this happening? Yeah, they were they were part of it and they, you know, were also brought up in court. Man, re- like being told they were responsible for their daughter's death, but apparently the fact that their daughter died, they deemed it as punishment enough for them and they didn't have to serve any jail time or anything. That's insane. Which yeah, I think is crazy. Yeah. But um yeah. So she passed, they were charged, ended up not even serving that jail time, says it was suspended. Wow. So nothing really, I don't know, no repercussions there for anyone involved. But she was dead, unfortunately, from all that. Then in, let's see, it was about two years later in February of 1978, Mm -hmm. I read this um, in an article. It said that Annalise was exhumed, which I didn't know what that meant. Apparently means they um, dig a grave back up. And apparently her parents claimed that they wanted to take her out of the cheap coffin they they buried her in Mm -hmm. and put her in a nicer one. Um, But there's a rumor that there was a nun that told the parents she had a vision that Annalise's body was still intact, mm-hmm. like it hadn't decomposed at all. And so some think that that's why they dug her up. Honestly, that seems but, like more of a possibility. Like, I would imagine that happening over... I couldn't imagine someone exhuming a body just to put their remains in a nicer casket <laughs> that's going to go back in the ground yeah. that you're not going to see. Yeah, I don't know. If, that seems a little strange. Like religious uh, reasoning behind wanting to put someone in a nicer casket. Because I mean, like, I know this isn't related to Catholicism, but back in Egypt, they buried pharaohs with a bunch of gold right. and all the earthly possessions. So I don't know if there's any belief in having like a nicer resting place helps someone rest easier yeah, in the afterlife. I'm, you know, I'm. I don't know. I don't know that much about Catholicism, so I can't say for sure. Right. But just a guess. Hmm. But it it doesn't make sense to me either. I wouldn't do that. Yeah. Um. Apparently, the official reports filed whenever they did that said that her body showed regular signs of decomposition. Okay. So, 
nothing going on there, but yeah. just the decision to dig her body back up was weird. Yeah. That seems like it would be painful to her family members. Yeah. So fun quarantine thing to do if this type of story interests you is apparently there is a movie released in 2005 called The Exorcism of Emily Rose. And it's kind of loosely based on Annalise's story. Ooh, that's a creepy one. Have you seen it? Yeah, I think I saw it. It's either that one or the original, like, Exorcist movie. I don't remember which one it was. Either way, like, any movie that's, like, exorcism-based is always, like, super spooky. Yeah, I watched the trailer, and the girl that plays Emily Rose, the girl that's possessed, mm-hmm. she, I think she won an award for most frightening performance or something like that. Yeah. And it was, like, pretty terrifying. I watched a clip of, I think it was the priest performing the exorcism was trying to get her to say the names of her demons Mm -hmm. and like drive them out. And she just, she looked so scary. Yeah. Um, So the, the movie, this one follows the story of a lawyer that's involved in a negligent homicide case involving a priest who performed an exorcism on Emily Rose. So it's kind of, it's very loosely based. And then I think, I don't know if it followed like the demons that were in Annalise, mm-hmm. but um, it looked like a pretty good movie. So that's something you can do if you're bored quarantining. Yeah. I probably won't watch it on my end just because Jordan refuses to watch scary movies with me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Too spooky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I definitely don't think I want to be watching that. All by myself here. Yeah, um, I wouldn't. That'd be terrifying. I'm very glad we're not recording late at night. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Things like that late at night are always much scarier than when the sun's out. <laughs> right. So. so that is the story of Annalise Michelle. Yeah, that was a good story. That was really spooky. Yeah. I. It's like exorcism stories are always like super interesting just because especially with her, like, her mental health played a big part in it, too, I think. Um, yeah. But, you know, you never know how that person's really feeling on the inside. Yeah, I think the conjunction of her condition with epilepsy mm-hmm. on top of already being a very religious person kind of played into yeah, kind of the state that her mind took on. Because uh, I was also reading that she during her exorcisms she would talk about quote dying to atone for the wayward youth of the day and the apostate priests of the modern church Hmm. so apparently she was into like she would do i guess things that gave her self-discomfort to try to atone for the sins of others Like, I read that when she was a teenager, she would sleep on a stone floor to atone for the sins of wayward priests and drug addicts who would, you know, they would be sleeping on hard ground. Yeah. So her, which was very interesting to me, the the concept of atoning for someone else's sins. Like, so... I'm sorry. I think she felt like I'm, she was atoning for something. I don't know. I'm not sleeping on a hard floor just because someone else has sinned. Right. <laughs> Absolutely yeah. not. But yeah, she had that same kind of mentality growing up, like even before all of this started. Yeah. And then it just took on a whole different feel. Yeah. Yeah. Poor Annalise. Yeah, poor girl. Rest in peace. You know, that's, yeah, that's got to be such a scary, terrifying experience, especially like in your own mind that's what exactly is going on like her beliefs are were really real to her so yeah especially with all that trauma prolonged over the course of 10 months yeah well i don't have a much better of a story for you it's um <laughs> it's a it's a bit of a rough one so i think this oh, is man. yeah one of the roughest ones i'm i'm bringing to the table yet so Okay, um, just I'm ready after all this, all of the stuff that I read for this. I know. So, just a warning uh, to everyone out there: there is like some 
pretty stuff tough stuff that happens with like sexual abuse and um that kind of stuff so just if you don't want to listen to it i suggest not listening to it because this is a a rough one but um this is a story of tsutomu mayazaki also known as the otaku murderer um so Tsutomu was born on August 24th, or sorry, August 21st of 1962 in Itsukaichi, Tokyo, Japan. Um, he was born prematurely with a birth defects in his hands. Um, his joints were basically fused together and he was unable to bend his wrists upwards. So because of his hand deformity, he was made fun of and bullied a lot in elementary school. So he, yeah, it's pretty sad. So he mostly kept to himself. Um, He didn't really have any friends. And like in pictures, he would often hide his hands because he was embarrassed of them, which is really sad. That's a tough, like um, tough growing up as a kid with uh, some sort of issue like that, um, just because kids can be cruel sometimes. Yeah. But by the time he was in high school, he was a really good student and had good grades. Um, But then all of a sudden, they just like dramatically dropped. And his original plan was to study English in college and become a teacher. But instead, he ended up attending a junior college and studied to become a photo technician. His his father was pretty influential in the Itsukaichi district of Tokyo. Uh, He owned a newspaper and suit. Tsutomu was expected to take over his father's job when he retired, but um, he didn't want to do that. He didn't want to have anything to do with his father's newspaper. Um, And in the mid-1980s, he ended up moving back into his parents' house, but him and his family didn't really get along at all. He did have two younger sisters, and they didn't like him at all, and he wasn't close with his parents. Um, he, Man, I know. So he probably felt so alone. Yeah, he was. He was um, pretty lonely. He was pretty much all alone. No one liked him. He didn't get along with his family. Um, but he was yeah. really close with his grandfather. Um, but in May of 1988, his grandfather died, which tossed um, Tsutomu into a deeper depression, and he was isolated even more since he had no one he was close with. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so it was pretty rough on him. Um, His grandfather's death is what experts believe to be, like, his tipping point, basically. Um, Yeah. This is where everything went downhill very fast. Um, If you watch Criminal Minds, they call that the trigger. Ooh, so this was his trigger. I've been watching a lot of Criminal Minds lately, yeah, so. Quarantine. (laughs) Oh, definitely. Yeah, I've been binging um, Supernatural, so, like, everything. Supernatural? Okay, so I started watching it. And I'm on, like, season five, and once I started season five, I was like, oh, man, there's probably not that many seasons left. Like, what am I going to binge next? And I look, there's, like, 14 seasons of this show. <laughs> you got time. So, like, I'm good. That's um, awesome. So, anyways. Yeah. Back, his trigger was his grandfather's death. Yes. So, in an attempt to retain something from him, uh talking about his grandfather he ended yeah. up eating some of his grandfather's ashes oh no like, okay well I, I don't know if ashes are better than actual person but but like yeah <laughs> talk about dry mouth like <laughs> how do you even swallow that yeah. do you like take some water with it I'm- like the original cinnamon challenge <laughs> grandfather's ashes challenge oh no start coughing ashes blow everywhere grandpa no grandpa go back to the book so oh that's fucked so a few weeks after this um one of his sisters caught him watching her while she was taking a shower so Uh-oh. just peeping Tom. Yeah, but like your sister, that's fucking perverted, creepy Tom. Fucking disgusting. Like, yeah. no, there's a line. He like yeah. went Crossed. above and beyond the line. So, so uh, when she told him to leave, he attacked her. 
I don't know why. What? She was like, obviously, like, get out of here. He was like, no, and attacked her. His mom obviously found out what had happened, and she demanded that he spend more time working and less time with his videos. So I'm not really sure what no, videos. What kind of video? Right. I don't know what video she's not referring to, but either way, like, you find out your son is creeping on his sister in the shower and your go-to is, hey, go work more? I, I don't know. I don't know. But any- it does make sense to <laughs> Anyways, so the eggshell of a man that he was ended up t- attacking his own mother as well. This guy could be set off by anything. Yeah, so his mom's like, don't creep on your sister. Work more. And he was like, no, mom. And attacked her. <laughs> um, and then on... August 22nd, 1988, which was one day after his 26th birthday, a four-year-old little girl named Mary Kano vanished while she was playing at a friend's house. Um, Her father obviously contacted the police because he couldn't find her anywhere. And what ended up happening is that Tsutomu abducted Mary and drove westward of Tokyo and parked the car under a bridge in a wooded area. Um, he ended up sitting with Mary for about, about a half hour and then murdered her. Um, oh my gosh. He then engaged... How old was this little girl? She, did it say? Yeah, she was four. Oh my gosh. Um, so, Awful. yeah, then he engaged in sexual acts with her corpse and... Oh, ugh. Yeah, mm. so it gets really bad. Um, and he left her in the hills near his home. He took her clothes with him and let her body to decom- decompose for a few days, and then returned to her body and removed her hands and feet, which he ended up keeping in his closet, and charred her remaining bones in his furnace, ground them into powder, and sent them to her family in a box. What? Yeah. Um, so this guy was, like, beyond That is sinister. Up. That- wow. Yeah. Um... So this box also included several of her teeth, photos of her clothes, and a postcard that read, Mary, cremated, bones, investigate, prove. So it's like, every word was like, ended with a period. So it was just a very random kind of a... Sounds like he was almost taunting them. Yes. Like, here, look at all this stuff I did to her, prove it. Mm-hmm try and find me type of thing yeah so he yeah he was just a fucked up individual yeah on october 3rd of 1988 sutomu was driving along a rural road and this is where he spotted masami yoshizawa which was a who was a seven-year-old girl he offered her a ride home and she accepted um, so no little girl, no. please no one ever accept a ride from a stranger. Everyone speak to your children. Don't expect accept yeah. rides from strangers. Um, so he drove to the same spot where he had killed his first victim, Mary, and he ended up killing Masami as well. Um, again, he engaged in oh. sexual acts with her corpse and took her clothes with him. Oh. On December 12th of 1988, he kidnapped a four-year-old girl named Erica Namba. Um, She was on her way home from a friend's house, and he forced her into his car and drove into a parking lot in Naguri, Saitama. Um, Geographically, I'm not sure where that's located, but I'm obviously close to where he was. And he forced her to remove her clothes and took pictures of her. he then proceeded to kill her and tied her hands and feet behind her back, covered her with a bed sheet, and put her body in the trunk of his car. Oh, my God. Yeah, so he got rid of her clothes in the wooded area and left her body in the parking lot near where he dumped her clothes. He then set a, sent a postcard to her family with the words, Erica, cold, cough, throat, rest, death. And he used words cut out of magazines um, to, like, put those words together on a postcard. My gosh. So pretty, you know, stereotypical murder vibes with the cutting out words in a magazine. But yeah. Man, I just really want to know how they caught this guy. We'll get to that. 
luckily. Man, I just wanted to be Paul already. I know. Um, so, so, so sad. There's another girl. Um, on June 6th of 1989, he convinced a five-year-old girl named Ayako Nomoto to allow him to take pictures of her. He led her to his car, and that's where he murdered her. He covered her body with a bed sheet and put her body in the trunk of his car and took her to his apartment. So, uh, trigger warning to everyone. Um, over the next two days, he engaged in sexual acts with her corpse and took pictures of her in various positions and filmed it. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Um, so, when her body began to decompose... He dismembered her and left her torso in a cemetery and her head in the hills nearby, um, like nearby his house. Uh, He kept her hands, drank her blood from them, and ate part of her hands. I Wow, this guy is... I don't know why. Like, I think having the... being born with hands that were disformed might have had something to do with it. I don't know I can't obviously speak on behalf of this but that just there's just there's no logical explanation this guy just like had something mm-hmm. wrong he had a lot of things wrong he really escalated too yeah it's like, so quick each of these murders like happened they just like you know it started out completely awful everything awful but then just like kept you know, yeah. piling on top of that. I know. So he, you know, ate part of her hands. He then began to fear that police would find her torso and head. So he returned to the cemetery and the hills where he left her torso and head two weeks after dumping them. And how did no one see it in that? Two I don't weeks? know. That's my question. Like the hills fine might've been a secluded location, but a cemetery, you think people are like going. No one came to mow the grass. Right. Do nothing. I, I don't Come know on. where in the cemetery he hid them or whatever, but yeah, I'm yeah. just surprised it took two weeks and no one found them. But um, yeah. anyway, so he went back and got him and carried her remains back to his apartment and hid her torso and head in his closet. Uh, How is he keeping all these body parts in the closet? Like they a torso and a head do not smell good. Right. A torso and a head, as well as hands and feet, they still decompose. They still smell. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, I don't know if he didn't have a sense of smell or what, but that's nasty. When this poor girl that he engaged in sexual acts with for two days with her corpse, it said, like, when her body began to decompose. So, it took two days, but, like, I'm pretty sure it would have been less than two days that her body would have started to decompose and smell bad. Yeah, because there's some, like, biological things that happen pretty soon after death. Yeah, like... Your organs are dead. They're they're no longer functioning. They're going to start to rot. It's like, right. Um. Anyways, so on July twenty third, nineteen eighty nine, uh, Tsutomu saw two sisters playing in the park, and he somehow got the sisters separated from one another and took the younger one with him. The girl's father arrived shortly after he had taken her, and the father found him taking photographs of his daughter who he had convinced oh to strip nude. <gasps> no way. So the father attacked Tsutomu. Uh, yeah. yeah, obviously. But unfortunately, he was <laughs> unable to restrain him, and he ended up getting away. Obviously, the father like called the police, and oh, this guy, he left his car at the park because he drove there. And so he returned to the park wow. eventually to get his car, but the police were waiting there for him, and he was arrested. So... Man, this guy is sick and an oh idiot. God, right? Like, what a dumbass. But, like, I mean, good, thank God he was, thank God he was like, a dumbass. Yeah. Uh, like, I couldn't imagine if he wouldn't have caught, gotten caught, like, how many more victims there would have been. Because that was four in a yeah. very short amount of time. He was not stopping. Right. So, upon searching Tsutomu's apartment, they found 5,763 videotapes. Um, some of which contain anime and slasher films, which he ends up claiming the reasoning behind his crimes because he's just an eggshell of a human being and once mm. has to blame something no else reason. on his like 
fucking problems. Um, yeah. So they also found video footage and pictures of his victims. Um, the medium, the media called him the otaku murderer. And according to Google, I don't know if this is 100% correct, but otaku is a Japanese term for people with obsessive interests, particularly in anime and manga. So mm-hmm. his killings caused a moral panic against otaku, um, accusing anime and horror films of making him a murderer. Uh, that's like whenever soccer mom said that violence in video games causes violence in their kids. Right. Like, no, your kids just have something wrong and are violent. Yeah, your kid just has behavioral problems. <laughs> yeah, the nothing that he watched on there on a cartoon would i mean would cause somebody to do something so horrific right like it could have maybe inspired them a little bit but like they obviously have to have that underlying issue to begin with for someone to be yeah. like like there's hmm. so many people that watch the same thing right. and do nothing right exactly um so newspapers claim that tsutomu retreated into a fantasy world of manga as a result of his neglected upbringing um, a psychoanalyst at Tokyo International University told the Shukan Post, and this is a quote, the danger of a mm-hmm. whole generation of youth who do not even experience the most primary two or three-way relationship between themselves and their mother and father, and who cannot make the transition from a fantasy world of videos and manga to reality is now extreme. His trial actually began on March 30th of 1990. And he often talked mm-hmm. nonsensically and blamed his actions on Ratman, which was apparently his alter ego. Uh, so his, okay. his alter ego, Ratman, is one who forced him to kill, of course. Again, right. something else, not, his fault. not you. Right, right. Um, so during his trial, he would draw the cartoon version of Ratman. So he's just like doodling this rat man during his trial like this guy does not give a fucking shit about what he did like what a weirdo yeah so his father refused to pay for his son's legal defense and ended up good right but the sad thing is like he ended up committing suicide in 1994 obviously this was really hard on him and um Aww. you know brought shame to him and his family right. but so yeah. that's pretty sad um his trial actually lasted seven years, which is just insane. Like, how? He obviously what? he obviously did it. Like, there's no there's no yeah, conversation against videos, yeah. Pictures. They caught him in the mm-hmm. act. I mean, I'm I hope he was in jail for that seven years, right? Like he was at least in prison. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was. Um, I wouldn't think he would be out and about. Um but oh, yeah. the reason it lasted so long is because it focused on his mental state during the time of his murders. Um, uh, um, yeah. Were they trying to claim insanity or something mm-hmm. like that? So under Japanese law, people of unsound minds are not subject to punishment, and the feeble-minded are entitled to reduced sentences. Um, so three teams of court-appointed expert psychiatrists came to different conclusions about his ability to tell the right from, to tell right from wrong. Two of the teams determined he was feeble-minded and so one of those two teams concluded he was schizophrenic and that he had multiple personality disorder and or sorry, one huh. of them concluded he was schizophrenic and then the other team of those two um, said he had personal multiple personality disorder. And then the third team, um, found that even though he had a personality disorder, he was capable of taking responsibility for his actions, which is great. Like, I'm glad yeah. they <laughs> that one team at least came to the conclusion that even though he has a personality disorder, that doesn't mean he should be able to be let off easily because of yeah. it. Um, at the very least, I think if you're deemed like incapable of discerning right from wrong, you should still be held responsible for your actions. Yeah. Like, you should still be incarcerated, but just, like, at, you know, a place meant to help people with mental disabilities. Yes. So you could be, like, medicated and taken care of and not able to harm anybody else. Right. As long as he's not harming anybody else, I mean, I don't think there would be even any any way he would be able to become a normal human being of society after this. Like, 
Yeah, like he can't he can't contribute to society. He's he wasn't gonna yeah, stop and, until he was caught. Right, he lost his privileges. <laughs> but um, <laughs> the Tokyo District Court judged him to be accountable for his crimes. Thank goodness. And um, mm-hmm. he was actually sentenced to death on April 14th of 1997. Um, wow. And then in 2008, meant so many years after he was sentenced to death, because yeah. um, these things take time, uh, the Minister of Justice, K- uh, Kunio Hatoyama, of course, I have, I'm doing better at my pronunciations. <laughs> yeah. <that's laughs> um, right. So he signed his death warrant, and he was hanged on June 17th. Hanged? Yep. Bye-bye, Tsutomu. Wow. Adios, motherfucker. <laughs> that seems, that's a little archaic way of offing somebody. He deserved it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but who just has a noose hanging around to off people like right. that? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I don't, that's. I was pretty surprised by that too. That in two thousand eight he was hanged rather than lethal injection. I guess was the most. Yeah, th- yeah, that's super recent. Yeah, so I mean, I'm here for it. I'm not. I'm not mad. Yeah. He was hanged, but got got the job done. Right, he's gone. <laughs> However, it be happened. Like he's he's gone. He's dead. That's what he deserves. He doesn't deserve any living chance because he murdered. And assaulted and sexually assaulted these poor, these four poor young girls, and almost a fifth yeah. one. He assaulted a fifth one, obviously. Um, yeah. Luckily, her dad came back in time, um, and she wasn't. She was. She ended up being okay. But right. So yeah, that was the story of Tsutomu Miyazaki. It's a little bit of a short one, but um, it was a pretty rough one. So. Yeah, that is. I'm, I'm glad it wasn't a longer. Like you know, I'm glad there wasn't more victims right. to his this tirade. So, man, just shows you that there's some messed up people. Yeah, out there. Happy two year, uh, two year, two month, two month anniversary. <laughs> yeah, that was a good episode. Yeah, we hope you guys um, enjoy this episode, um, even though it's a little dark and depressing. <laughs> A little bit, yeah. But, um, yeah. So we hope you all are staying safe and healthy as always and staying home and, you know, taking your part and being responsible. Yeah. And if you guys listened to this episode and haven't heard the last one, Ashley did a story on a evil soap maker. Yes. She was so. quite the woman. Uh, Sweeney Todd she- of her time. <laughs> oh, Yeah. So go listen to last week's episode if you haven't already. Hope you enjoyed this one. And we'll see you in the next one. Yeah. Talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye.